Amen. So Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Um, I'll tell you, there's been many a Sunday as I've gotten ready for the message, I thought, Brian, why in the world did you pick Ecclesiastes? Um, but, um, but I have to say, overall, now that we only have two chapters left, you know, pretty, or nigh on it, uh, I've, I've gained a lot of insight in him, I've gained a lot of insight in the Word, and how um, the Word goes together, and how it fits together. And he has um, some wisdom for us here this morning, that's where we're at, we're kind of in a, a wisdom section, there's a little buffer of experiment at the front. The uh, wisdom section in the middle, conclusions uh, coming at the end, and so we're in that. And he's been giving us some, some helps. Um, I like helps. Uh, he's given us some tips. I like that. Um, you ever looked at life hacks you know, on, online? You know, little life hacks, little, little tricky things. You're like, man, that was genius. Why didn't I think of that? And, and some of those things in that way. Um, he's given us, told us about frustrations in life. Um, sometimes it's nice, even though he says that was going on back then. We know that they're going on now. That means they'll be going on in the future, as long as the Lord's not here. And so um, there's a little disappointment in that. But uh, sometimes, you know, knowing that you're not alone, knowing that there's some company, you know, that, that they've been there and, and to go on and to kind of help us endure. You know, he's kind of given us that. Uh, that there's frustration and justice. We sense that. He says it's been, it's going to be. It's to make us long for home. It's to make us long for eternity. Make us long for when Christ is here, when things are right, when things will be as they're supposed to be. Uh, we're supposed to long for that. It's that, I think that week I used the, uh, the analogy of the eagle who makes the nest not so quite so soft and cozy, but a little bit where it's like, hey, I think I need to fly this coop. You know, I need to get out on my own. And that's what he's making us say. Don't be too comfortable in this world you know, and by some of the things we see go on. And so he gives us some advice on how to deal with those things, frustrations and good things and bad things and at work. And uh, he tells us what to avoid. A lot of that is avoid um, corruption, avoid shortcuts, avoid what seems like a quick and easy path. You know, he talks, encourages good work, you know, good work ethics. And so he, he warns about that. And today is no exception. Um, it's more advice. Some, in some ways, it's better for us, this section, than it was for the, his audience originally, because we have more of a choice. And, and Solomon's day, uh, people really had no choice who was their leader. You know, it was genetics, you know, it was whoever was the son of, the son of, the son of. That was, David's line was picked, and whoever it went to, went to. That's who governed them. They had no say. They never thought about it. They never thought, I wish we could have somebody else. They didn't, you know. Uh, sometimes somebody else thought, I wish I was king, and they would kill him, and then they would go in, you know. But it was usually all that Davidic line, or the people would uh, enforce that. You know, they would make sure that they kept it along that way. And at some point in time, they did get frustrated, and some of them, not frustrated, but they got more sinful, and they went north, and they elected their own king and did it their own way, and uh, they got wiped out. And so uh, we do get to elect our officials, uh, but he has, his wisdom here still applies to us. Some is more fitting than ever uh, for the corrupt people in power. Uh, reminds us that we're the ones in charge, I think, or we should take that to, to, to heart. And so again, it, it just shows us that there's wisdom here, that we can we could make choices, and that we're to... He's delivered his word to us to guide us, to direct us, and to instruct us. And so, and the language that he chooses is pretty important too. And I think that that's kind of one of the things that's neat about the Bible is that it is spoken in a timeless way. 
You know, he doesn't talk about cars or internet. He doesn't talk about, you know, cell phones and what's going on. But he gives the basic moral principles of life that apply to him no matter what. Because he knew everything that was coming, what was going on, and that if he put something in here about talking on a strange device across the world, that's all we'd have been focused on forever, you know, and, and never been paying attention to him and what was going on. So he spoke to the generals of mankind and how he worked. And so uh, there's some allusions to some things uh, here and there, and we do get focused on those. But as a general rule, he's just given us a good language on here. Apply this to all this technology and whatever comes along the way. And, and I think that's pretty telling of God's word versus uh, some of these other versions that are out there and other, uh, I guess, uh, sacred words that aren't from God. You know, you can tell. They're obvious. They're hard to read. They're clunky. They only fit in a certain time. And they're exposed over time uh, that they are wrong. God's words holds up. And our text here is in chapter 10, Ecclesiastes 10, verse 16. We'll read two verses here, 16 and 17. So Ecclesiastes 10, 16 says, Woe to thee, O land, when the king is a child, and thy princes eat in the morning. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. Um, See, so we don't have princes, you know, but, but uh, we, we can make this apply to our leader. And, and he's, first thing he talks often, he says, Woe to the land when the king is a child. Uh, he's not necessarily talking about age. Uh, although in their system, a child could be king. You know, think of Josiah. I think he's, what, six, something like that. You know, and he takes over. And so that was a possibility. But, he's, but Josiah was one of the better kings. He was not one of the worst kings. He was one of the better kings. He was the one that tried to turn Israel around, that did hard, worked real hard to purge the land, to get things back right, to get it and turn it towards God. And then when he died, it went right back to as bad as it was. But he was a good one. So he's not necessarily talking about age as much as he's talking about how they act. Um, he's talking about a childish king. Uh, he's talking about a king who's not serious. A king who's only thinking about play and, and not wanting to think about the things of the state. Only about what the benefits of his position are. Oh, I'm king. I can do whatever I want. I'll run wherever I want. I'll do whatever I want. I'll, I'll do all these things. When, when Solomon <clears throat> came into office, you know, he was um, 20-somethings. And, and so uh, the, his prayer was that, Lord, I am but a child. He actually says that. He goes, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. That's why he prayed for wisdom. And so uh, this is kind of little strikes home to him, you know, about the rulers and leadership um, behaving appropriately. And he's like, Lord, teach me to behave appropriately. Help me to govern. Help me to judge, it says in, in Kings when he does do that. And so <clears throat> um, how the king speaks here, it's kind of like he's flipped, or spoken of here, he's flipped day for night. Verse 16, Woe to thee, O land, when the king is a child, and thy princes eat in the morning. Babies kind of do that, right? Uh, they get messed up on what's day and night. You can ask for a mom, or you, sometimes you can see the mom and dad come in, and they're like, how's it going? Oh, they think the two in the morning is the time to get up and play. You know, it's like, oh, it's like you know, the baby forgets. You know, they, they flip their day for the night, and they want to get up and play all night. And I can remember that, and we're kind of like, it's bedtime. And they're like, no, it's party time. You know, and they're wanting to go and do whatever. And you're like, oh, it's going to be a long night. And that's when Elaine said she tried to teach them all to say dada first so she could say, they're calling for you. you know? And so that way you have to go and take care of them in the middle of the night. But uh, So babies get confused, <clears throat> you know, night and day getting backed up. Um, Main meal is supper, you know, the dinner is it's at the end of the day. These childish rulers are eating in the morning, it says. 
That means they've been up all night. They've been partying all night. They're doing everything. Woohoo! We're just getting ready to have our main meal. They're going to eat that main meal in the morning, go to bed, sleep all day, then get up and party again all night. There's none like that in America. There's a lot like that in America. You know, living for the weekend, up all night, you know, going to party all day. <clears throat> and because this king is that way, he pronounces a woe upon them. A woe in the Bible is a pretty serious thing. It's like, that, that is like a judgment against you. Woe unto you, you know, scribes and Pharisees, Jesus said. So this is a judgment on them. He's like, woe, it's woe, it's sad for you. It's a judgment on you. These are sad things if your leaders are this way. He says it's better if you have a serious leader. Verse 17. Blessed are thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. Uh, sons of nobles. That means that these children, this, this prince as he comes into power as a king, he's been trained. He's been taught by his dad. He's been raised in nobility. And the, and the dad's been teaching him, one day when you rule, you'll see why. And he brings him along and he shows him and he exercises, you know, uh, wisdom and discernment. He, he lets him see. He trains up a child in the way he should go in this way. How to rule, what's going on, and, and teaches the weight and the responsibility that's going to be upon him as a king one day. Uh, <clears throat> we live in a day and age when there's enough shows out there that kind of show that good kings versus bad kings and there's all kinds out there. And you can see a good noble king, you know, teaching and training in that way. And so this is a serious kingdom. This is a, a dad who has uh, these nobles who take their rule of their country serious and they train up their children serious. And, and Solomon's saying, boy, if you get one of those, you're a good country. You're going to be a blessed country in that way um, by watching their elders, by seeing them lead and govern in that way. Um, these guys eat at the right time. Uh, they eat the right meals at the, in the right season. It's not like it's a party every night. Well, hey, it's Tuesday. Let's have a feast. You know, and they go and they have a feast. You know, and it's a burden on the, the nation. And they party and they wake up drunk the next day. And they, or they don't wake up. And they sleep all day and they get all confused. <clears throat> it, it can go that way. Now, these guys celebrate when it's appropriate. They aren't afraid to celebrate. They're not afraid to have fun. They're not afraid to enjoy themselves. But they aren't just living for the party. And they're not just living for the day. You know, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy is a saying that we have. You know, it's like there's a time for fun and there's a time for seriousness. And you need to take time to have some fun. Matter of fact, Solomon said a little bit earlier, you know, sometimes you need to take a break away and go sharpen the axe so you can go back to work a little bit better. You know, so, so we need that. God's even built that into our system where we have six days to work and a, and a, and a day to rest. You know, so we have a day off to recalibrate, readjust, and then go back. And then we're fortunate enough that we usually have a weekend, you know, uh, the last day of the week and the first day of the week. You know, we get to do what we want to do, and then we have uh, the work week that comes ahead. But when these guys eat their meals, it's for sustenance. You know, blessed are the, verse 17, blessed are thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. You know, so they're, they're all right to have a feast at the right time, but these guys are eating for sustenance, for fuel, for health. It's not just eating to eat. You know, it is eating because it is right. And, and it's not for drunkenness. It's not for partying. It's not for feasting for feasting's sake. That's not how they are. You know, so they, they were, these guys were good. That's, that's the one you want. As a matter of fact, he says it's a blessing on them. It's a blessing on that nation to have a good, serious leader, one who knows when to celebrate, when it's time to celebrate, one who knows when it's time to get down to business and have business, one who knows when he's supposed to do what he's supposed to do, who doesn't waste the resources. You know, when you think about the peasants you know, in the kingdom who are starving and the king feasting, eating one and true thing, and like, oh, those are no good, and you watch them throw it out, and you're just like, what a waste when you have people out there you know, chewing on corn cobs or something. It's like, it's just uh, that. And he says, no, this noble eats what you know, they need, and they give it on. It's just talking about 
I guess, uh, discretion in ruling, uh, good, use sources, uh, good use of the resources that they have and, and not flaunting um, their excess you know, by being noble. And so Solomon notices that, not that he necessarily behaved that way, but he notices that that's a good kingdom you know, because they were stuck with their king. We're a little bit better situation. We can vote them out. You know, we should, um, we, we should we, you know, we, we should have the power to do that as a people, to say, no, you know, you're wasteful, you're not doing what's right, we, we should show up and, and do that. <clears throat> Sometimes it's just shocking when you hear the numbers of Americans who don't vote, and don't share to vote, and this power that we have that other generations and other people throughout the, you know, forever would have killed to have the opportunity to have a voice and to say something in this system let alone how many soldiers we've had die, you know, to, to, to give us that right, that power, to be able to have that, uh, that, that power to the people in that way. And so I take voting serious, and I think Solomon would. But bad, because bad leaders make an impact on a nation. Carelessness in a leader will lead to carelessness in a nation. Uh, it'll lead to bad laws, bad policies. It'll weaken a nation. It'll weaken a nation in all areas, from morally to fiscally to, you know, all kinds of ways. You know, how, how a nation is and how a nation stands. Um, public stances, you know, and what our leaders say and how they do and how they behave and what we let them get by with affects the rest of us because it's like, well, they got by with it. That must be okay. And, you know, so it trickles down in that way. That's why he warns in this next part. Look at verse 18. He says, but much slothfulness, or by much slothfulness, the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands, the house droppeth through. Uh, he's speaking of a house, because we all have houses. We don't have castles and stuff like that, and we have houses. He says a house not cared for will collapse. It falls into disrepair. You have to maintain it. You have to take care of it, and it will eventually collapse if you do not do so. Um, you have to take care of it. You have to protect it. You can always tell. You know, you've ever been driving by and you're like, I don't think anybody lives there anymore. It becomes obvious, right? All of a sudden the windows look a little more, you know, and the grass is growing up and, and the gutter is just a little bit goofier or whatever. You just look at it you're just, you can just tell. You can tell when someone moves in and they're trying and you can tell when someone moves out and there's nothing there. It's obvious when someone lives there and when someone doesn't. It's almost like the property gives up. No one cares. But, you know, it'll collapse on itself. It's just kind of obvious. You know, we have... Shingles on a roof to protect. You know, it's a wall against the elements. You know, it can take the rain. It can take the hail. It, it can take whatever comes down against it. It'll shield the frost so that we can be underneath it and it's not upon us. You know, it, it does a lot of good for us. Or, you know, fortunately here we have a metal roof in that way and to help and, and guide and protect us. Paint is the same way. It keeps the water out. It keeps the elements out. It does a shield is against there. It helps protect the wood and the materials that build your home to keep it standing strong and keep out the bugs and everything else. You know, so we go through and we do that or caulk it and do whatever else and so uh, let alone doors and windows and everything that we have um, we re-shingle a house when it needs re-shingled you have to repaint when it needs repainted you have to caulk and, and tape and, and stop it you know because in the winter the first time cold comes you're going to be sitting there and it's going to blow your candle out you know because you got a breeze blowing through and you'll be like there goes the electric bill we've got to guard against this and all of a sudden it's batting down the houses get me the duct tape and the visqueen and, and we're out there you know, doing whatever we can to you know taping up the front door to keep it you know from Protected, you know, keep it warm on the inside and keep the cold outside. Um, so we need to modernize our houses sometimes too, just to keep it in good and efficient and in working order. You know, sometimes you know, houses were built in the, unfortunately, our house was built in a day when electricity was cheap. 
you know, and so it's all electric. Not so cheap anymore. <laughs> so you can kind of modernize a little bit, get more efficient heaters in there to get things going. So Solomon speaks of a house here, like I said, because we can all relate to our house. We all know what it's like to guard our house and to protect our house and to keep our house up and to maintenance our house. You know, you vacuum the carpet, you know, you, check, you fix the plumbing. We do all those things. We keep things going. But he's not really talking about a house here. He's talking about a nation or a kingdom. He's just using terms that we can understand. And he's put it in the realm of the rulers here. And so the ruler's house is his nation in that way, his kingdom. And if you have slothful rulers, a nation will decay. A nation will break down. A nation will collapse. Uh, We think that, uh, oh, that used to happen way back then. No, it happens now. It's happening now in sections of the world where things are just falling in on themselves. Venezuela is probably the one that comes to mind. Right now, other ones that are in uproar, and it always seems like they can't keep control. Haiti is, is a time where it's high and low and high and low, and there's riots and everything else trying to go on and, and, and to keep things stable because they have corrupt rulers, you know, and it comes down and it frustrates the people, and it doesn't have a sturdy, stable home in that way. It's, it's, it's chaos. So idleness. You know, if these guys, by slothfulness and the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hand, the house droppeth through. If there's idleness, if you just do nothing, it will collapse. You just can't maintain forever. See, bad leaders can corrupt and collapse a nation. And Solomon here speaks of some basic things that make a nation. Matter of fact, he doesn't know it yet, or maybe he does know it. Because his son was Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was a bad leader. And he took the nation in a downward spiral that it never recovered from. To the point where where we are on Wednesday night is Daniel because the nation got so bad that God's like, I can't even stand you being here anymore. Get out of my land. And so he has them exiled to Babylon for 70 years. And then he's going to give them a choice to come back. And so here, you know, some, maybe he knows that. Maybe he's writing this to warn his son. Don't be this way, son. Read my word. Read, read my wisdom that I put down. But he understands that. It's a basic thing. You need a good moral leader for things to stand. And so the structure of a nation is dependent upon its leaders and leadership and what is there. It needs to have a good structure morally. A nation just can't be amoral and say, everything goes. No, it has to have some morals to it or it will collapse. It has to physically be a good, strong nation. It has to have the basic elements that make up a nation there and in place or it will collapse. There is always someone trying to get in, just like with your house, whether it be ants and bugs or rain and water and wind. Something is always trying to get in and your whole job of living there is trying to keep that, you know, I'll bring in water when I want water, not through the roof, you know, so we're to guard against it. So morally, a nation has laws and standards of a nation. You know, you kind of know nations by them and who they are. You can think of the different standards and the different things that uh, how a nation stands and looks and, and, and operates just by, you know, even surfing the internet. You can kind of look and see, like, oh, this is what's important to them, and that's what's important to them, and, oh, this is what they like to do. And, you know, and you can kind of see and judge a nation by what is allowed and acceptable in that way. Um, we had high moral standards as a nation. Because our nation was founded on God's law, on God's word. Uh, It's called a Judeo-Christian ethic, Judeo-Christian standards that we had. It was based on the Bible, the Bible's laws, the Bible's commands on how that we were supposed to be, how we were supposed to behave, how we were supposed to act, what it expected of its citizens. 
I've told you before, I like sometimes listening to old-time radio shows, you know, from um, 30s and the 40s, and uh, it's interesting. Sometimes I, I like it when they left the commercials in. Sometimes it was just like somebody recorded. I don't know. They didn't have a cassette player. So, somehow they recorded it, you know, they, and they kept it down, and they would put it in there, and they, they had commercials like this. Remember, our nation depends upon you, parents. Teach your children how to behave in society. Teach your children how to obey. And they have these little public service announcements showing the parents, this is on you. Our nation is founded on your children. Instruct your children on how they ought to behave and how they act. Let them be good students in school, it would say. And, and have these morals that they were enforcing upon them and telling the parents, you're to instruct these children on how they're to behave. Our nation depends on it. And that prepared our nation to have one of the greatest generations that was able to take on one of the biggest evils in the world through the 40s, that we were able to rise and stand because we had a moral backbone that we could say that is evil and that is wrong, and we will stand and we will fight for it because we were a moral nation. We were able to stand for those things, and it made an impact that we're still living in that impact. But we can't live on that shoulders of, of those giants back then forever. Um, some of those boundaries... Uh, that they based upon those, 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 those boundaries that they established into our nations were like, thou shalt not lie. You're supposed to be truthful and an honest citizen. Thou shalt not steal. You know, we had laws about how we're to hate, behave and act in the, at the workplace, or how we're to behave and act in the, at home and society. I mean, think about you know, Mayberry, USA. You know, you got Andy Griffith and Barney there carrying his one bullet in his pocket. You know, it's like, that was kind of a snapshot of America for a time, right? Where the, Everybody knew everybody. Everybody watched out for everybody. You know, it wasn't like you didn't see him shut the door at, on his house and he got home and he had 50 different padlocks on there. No, they, they trusted that, you know, that this is my property and you'll stay out of my property, this, that, and the other. And, you know, the worst guy they had was Otis and he locked himself up, you know, so he would go in that way. But, you know, and some were worse than that, but it was kind of a general idea of the golden age of America. Thou shalt not murder. Even thou shalt not... I shall be married before you have sex. You know, let alone, that, that was part of the standard of a nation. We had laws on the books concerning all those things. You could not stay in a hotel unless you were a married couple. You know, separate rooms and pull apart. They were very strict and very good on those things. Up until the 70s. Hmm. So married for sex is long gone in our nation. It's been under attack since the 70s, 60s. Marriage at its fundamental basic is attacked in our nation to the point where it almost means nothing. Murder. The most safe and secure picture of safety that you can think of, safety and care, would be a mother's womb. There's 125,000 abortions a day in the world. But in the United States, it's four out of ten. Four out of ten pregnancies the mothers abort their babies. That's 3,700 abortions a day in the United States. That's not good leadership. That's not good moral morality. Uh, to not, if we don't guard uh, the basics and the weak and, and the youngest or the eldest, that's turning now to you know, the right to die, the right to suicide, the right to kill, the mercy killings and all. What's that say for our nation? What's it say for our moral standard, who we are, when we're supposed to respect and stand for life? It's decay from the inside, right? It's like those foundations have been eroded away, and this is a house that is going to collapse. It is like a nation that is on the precipice of falling down upon itself, is what Solomon's telling us here. 
the basics of a house are, need to be protected. And the things that I've described in talking about our house and taking care of our home or even think about our children, children, children thinking about our church here, uh, we can think about is the edges. You know, when I think about this church, I, think about, I, can, I can sit here and, and see the edges of, of our building. I also think about our borders of our property. It's like we don't mow the neighbor's yard. You know, we stop at, at an edge. We stop at an edge. We stop at an edge. We have, there's a fence. Oh, they might have taken most of the fence out. You know, we've taken this fence out over here, but we know where the border is. Oh, you got this long, and when we share it with our neighbor, we have a good common relationship with them. We know where the road is and our borders are. We know where our property begins and ends. We know that. That makes good neighbors. You know where your property is. And so it's basics of a nation as a border. That's part of the things that we determine. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 27. Deuteronomy Chapter 27, verse 17, Deuteronomy 27, I'm thinking that's not right, it's because I'm in numbers, I'm like, I have my name, I hate it when that happens, Deuteronomy 27, 17, it said, Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say amen. This is in a list where he is talking about the curses. And one of the very basic things he says is my nation, when my nation comes in, here is a thing that is abomination to us that our nation will not do. You will not remove your neighbor's landmark. And I know we think of like, you know, landmark can be used in a lot of different ways, but this is literally the meaning of the word. It marks the land. You know, it's a big rock over here or this big tree. That marks my property line and it goes to that big tree or that creek or that fork in the road. This marks it. We agreed on this. Yes, that's always been. That's how it will be. And he's like, you don't go changing that. It's not like the neighbor went to bed and you like pull the rock, push the rock a little bit more on his side and you get a little more yard. You get a, more, a little more land in that way. Uh, Porter used to argue with a neighbor down here who kept trying to encroach upon his land. <laughs> so he, uh, if you remember Porter doing that, he was very uh, hostile about how this, some guy's trying to take his property. And that's irritating. It's wrong. It's illegal. And God says it's here. It's part of who they were. Um, he says it again in Deuteronomy 19. He says it again in Proverbs 22, verse 28. Proverbs 23, verse 10. Job 24, Hosea chapter 5. And he goes through, he's like, here's what we don't do as a nation. We do not change our borders. You don't encroach and steal from your neighbor. You don't do this, that, and the other thing. It is there. And John 14, matter of fact, one of the promises that Jesus gives you and me that resonates with us, and I don't even think we take time to really think about how this resonates with us, but Jesus says that he has prepared a place for you, Right? Do you think it's a big general commune up there that we're all going to hippie city in? I don't think so. What do you think about? It says a house, right? I prepared a house for you. It has a place for you personally, your own personal property in heaven with a border where you go like, oh, here's where mine ends and there's where my neighbor begins. You know, it's like you know that it is there. That's where you have it. And so it is sectioned off for you and yours to have real estate in there. The first time we bought our first house, I can remember just sitting outside waiting to go in with the key and open it thinking, I own a piece of the earth. It was in Morgantown. It was nice. We still cherish. We still go back and we look and see how they're, are they caring for it like they should or not? It's just, ah, oh, I own a piece of the earth in that way. To think that God has a section of heaven sectioned off for you? That's going to have your name on it? And he's going to be like, that's where you live. I have a place for you permanently here in my house. And there's, there's your room. There's your house there in my mansion. That's awesome. You know, to, to think that you have that, that's that personal, personal property. Look at Isaiah 36. This is one that talks about on the earth. 
at least through the millennium, but he's promising it to him for eternity because we will live on earth. Isaiah 36. We're the church, so we have that a different blessing in that we have we get to be in the Lord's house. Israel, he promised them the land, you know, and so he makes this promise to them, Isaiah 36. And look at the personal pronouns that he uses to identify this that then resonates with you. And so uh, Isaiah 36, verse 16, it says, Hearken not uh, to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me, and eat ye every one of his, of his vine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one of the waters of his own cistern. It's, it's this whole promise is that, that you can have yours. You will have your own vine. And you will have your own fig tree. You can live off your own land. You will have your own cistern. You will have your own fresh water supply. You have a place where you live and you don't have to borrow and beg and, 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 and worry about what your neighbor's doing. You've got your own. You'll have it all. It is yours. A personal space. Abraham was promised a holy land with borders. It would go from the banks of the Nile down south on the, on the borders of Egypt, today in modern Egypt, up to the north section, just south of the, uh, the mountains of Lebanon, usually it would be with the border that they would divide it with. You'd go from the Mediterranean Sea on the west all the way over to the Euphrates uh, on the east is what he promised them to be Israel for their borderlands. And so that land today would take up all where Israel is today, plus all the land claimed by the Palestinians, which would be the, the Gaza and the West Bank. They would have all that. Parts of Egypt to the south and Syria, uh, all the nation of Jordan, uh, over to the east, uh, when with big chunks of Saudi Arabia and Iraq. That was all supposed to be the land. When you look at it on a map, like I was uh, looking uh, this morning, and someone drew out those borders, it's like Middle East Israel. I mean, it's not like, oh, there's all these nations. It's like, that's a big old chunk. Right now you look, it's a little tiny piece. It's a big old chunk that is promised to them that they've never had, that they will, that when their king comes, he will establish their borders. And it has borders, and they will acknowledge those, and there will be kings and nations throughout eternity in that way. He has these different sections. Zechariah tells us that. And once a year, we'll come with all the different cultures and the different things from those areas and the lands, and we'll celebrate together with him. And, uh, and it's pretty exciting to think about. We'll still have a differentness. It's not like you get up there and you're all white bread. Everything's the same, and there's no zest. And there's, no, it's, it's variety. So they possess a, Israel possesses a fraction of what's promised to them, and they have to fight to hold on to any little bit that they have, don't they? They have to guard and protect, or they're going to encroach on their borders and take it away. So Jesus comes back, he'll draw those borders. It's not like nations collapse. He, he keeps them, and he puts people in ruling in those areas. And so um, nation can drop if you don't. A nation can collapse, Ecclesiastes says. Um, house leaks, it rots. And if you leak and you let everything in, it's no longer your nation. So borders are biblical. It's kind of basic, but it's something that needs to be stated today. God draws lines everywhere. He says to the sea, here's your border, go no further. He says he's the one who determines that. This is where the ocean, you stay on your side, and you're there. I can't help but think of this and not think of riding in the old green station wagon we had growing up. And so we're riding in the old green station wagon, no seat belts, no child seats, you know, 
It was the good old days. And so we're driving all down the road, and the back seat was big enough that it was like you had your own room back there. And we'd all get fighting, get on each other's nerves. They'd fire like, everybody stay in their own spot. And I can still remember my own spot. I sat behind my dad on the driver's side, and my whole spot was the borders of my boundary was the back of dad's seat uh, to the passenger door on that side to the seam that was sewn in the middle of the seat. You know, I could get right up to that seam, or I could hug against the door, but I could be right there. Now, my brother Brett was on the other side. He had the door uh, behind mom on that side and went to the seam in the middle. And my brother Chad kind of got ripped off because he was the, the youngest one. So he had a little spot in the area where he just had the two seams that he was supposed to stay. And I can remember him drawing the lines. like, stay on your side. We're all staying on our side. And, and I remember thinking I claim all the way to the back window in the station wagon, which meant I had a spot on a sleeping bag there, there I could lay down. You know, I, we protected our boundaries and our territory. And every once in a while, you'd be creeping over. And that's how you'd smack each other's hand. And that's why dad would turn around and give you one of those if you, we kept encroaching on the borders of our brothers in that way. And so borders are biblical. It keeps peace when everything is guarded and protected in that way. So God, God draws, draws lines for the seas and, and, and the borders and, and all these different places. And our world wants to remove them all. Imagine there's no nations. You know, one of the most popular songs goes through and talks about removing all borders in that way. Solomon says, woe unto you if that's who you are and what you think. He says, that's bad leaders. That is wrong. No, uh, he says, we need to have a guy who protects and guards your house. Here's what these bad leaders say. Verse 19, a feast is made for laughter and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. That's bad leadership. They're like, hey, we're supposed to eat. You know, we're, we're supposed to use everything for fun. You know, we're supposed to feast because it makes us laugh. Wine makes us merry. And you know what? If we're having troubles as a nation, we just need more money. Tax them more. Take more from the people, and that'll solve our problems just because they're eating and gobbling up with all their fun and playthings. You know, take more. Give us more. Tax more. That's the answer. Solomon says, woe to a, a leader that says tax more. Take more. Take more away. Because the Bible says a man should have what's his. He should have what he works for. Matter of fact, the Bible's way is that you got paid at the end of the day. When you worked that day, you were to get paid that day, not wait until the end of the week or get it or two weeks and then pull out your taxes all that. It's like if you earned it, you had it that day. There's churches that go that way, and a lot of times um, pay at the end of the day, you know, their employees, and some of them have been persecuted, and some have been jailed because of those terms and the way in which they did it, which is why, you know, but it's like just because it's different and it comes to the Bible, but, but that's out there. Um, <clears throat> but he brings it home uh, kind of personally uh, to us here towards the end, and so we have a lot of this that was out of their control, and he talks about all these things to kind of help put us in mind that there's things you can't get in charge of. Here's what we can be in charge of, and that's the very last verse, verse 20. He says, Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not thy rich in thy bedchamber, for the bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Uh, basically, guard your mouth. It'll get you in trouble. Uh, don't go around sowing dissidents. Especially in their situation, they couldn't do anything. We could vote. You know, wait till it's time to vote, and then either show up and vote or be quiet. That's one of the things that really aggravate me the most. There's guys at work who have never voted, and they gripe the most. I'm like, you got no right. You give them a pass. You're voting for all the wicked every time you don't show up. Because what, you can't be bothered standing in line for a few minutes? Shame on you. There's guys who died for that. But he uses the term here that we still use today, right? A little bird told me. So it says here, it's on the birds of a wing, you know, the bird of an air will shall carry it off. It's kind of come down that way, like a little bird told me, and that goes through all cultures, that little birds are sharing all these things, that a voice takes wing and, and lands in somebody's ear, and so um, 
So watch out for birds. No, <laughs> but uh, it's usually more like you don't know what's listening. You don't know what you say, how it's going to get leaked out. And it talks about here in your uh, curse of the king, be not every the curse of the rich in thy bedchamber, the most sanctified and sacred place in your home, the most secret place, right? When you're laying on your pillow next to your wife and you're like, that guy's a jerk. <laughs> it's like, that's the, that's the place where you can have those private conversations and you have all that. And he's like, you got to be quiet. Your voice might carry out a little bit here. You know, Be cautious. He's giving us some caution here to, to deal with things. Uh, Matter of fact, this is probably more pertinent to us today than any other time people have been alive. Um, our little birds have names. They're called Echo, Alexa, Siri. They're listening, whether you think they are or not. Your TV, uh, it is there. You know, they record. They have everything. There have been murder investigations where the fights have been going on. They've gotten back, and the television has recorded everything that happened in that house, and they played against them. So they have all that out there that is being against, against you in that way. But he's just basically in the general rule, watch what you say. You know, let's be that way. I'm not saying you can't have your opinions and be that way. And again, for you and I, we can vote, but, but we need to watch it. He says, uh, it'll come back and bite you. And it seems like the king's always got somebody somewhere. And he's going to get you in deep, deep trouble. So how do we conclude to all this? I think pray for our leaders because we live in a unique time uh, that they make right decisions, that they stand on the right moral principles. No matter what the world is trying to force upon us, there are things that are right and there's things that are wrong. There's things that we morally should stand for. There's things that make America, America, that we should fight for. So we should do that. We have to deal with who we have. You know, we're not to rise up and revolt and kill against them in that way. So we're to deal with who we have and live peaceably among all men, the Bible tells us. We're to do that. Like I said, on the day of voting, vote them out. And he'll run. Somebody run. Good Christian people run. So we can do this. And so we're also, I think we can take to heart that we're to protect what's ours. We're to protect our nation. We're to guard it and protect in that way. Uh, the strong man of the house, Jesus uses that whole story, you know, protects what is his in that way. And he doesn't see anything wrong with it. We are to protect our personal property. We're to protect our person. We're to protect our family. That is all there. We're to have Bibles for personal protection. We're to guard ourselves. Ten Commandment is there for us, right? It's a border within us where God says, here are my laws. Those are guardrails. It's a fence around us. Don't be crossing those borders morally in that way. So we have to guard ourselves morally that way. Uh, we have to, uh, I guess, keep what's yours, guard what's yours, be honest with our borders and, and what is ours, um, uh, pray for our nation, and we also have to keep our nation. Pray for those. God's put us in a nation. He tells us to pray for those leaders and those that are over us and how we're susceptible to them, and sort of we're to pray and stand up for them as well. And so God is not silent on the issues, but even the issues of today, that it seems like, oh, come on, everybody knows this is how it's supposed to be. Uh, no. Uh, is, the Bible always flies in the face of whatever is popular, it seems like, in our culture. And so uh, if it is there and they're making a big deal about it, you can go, and then I just find it ironic that this is a text that we have for us today saying, woe to that nation where it goes that way. Because this is spelling the end of your destruction, and so, uh, or the end of your nation. It's going to collapse upon itself. And so we're to guard against that. So guard yourself, guard your people, guard this way. We're to guard ourselves morally. I think of the Song of Solomon. It talks about them when they're praying about, uh, the, the couple's praying about having a daughter. And they're saying, how's our daughter going to be? And they're like, we're going to make her a private garden. That means it has a wall around it, it has a gate, and only hers gets in. He says, if not, she'll be like a door open to everybody, a public park. You don't want your daughter to be a public park. No, you want it to be a private garden where it's just her and her husband. 
Uh, he's using flowery terms, but I think we all know what he means, and so it is there. He's saying they don't want to be that. They're bad words for those who are just public and open to everything. It doesn't lead to anything good. It's early death, disease, and everything. And so guard and protect. So guard and protect you. God's moral laws are to guard you from diseases. It's to guard you from um, all kinds of struggles and, and troubles and health issues. And um, My wife's a nurse, so I hear the effects of that. It is far more reaching. Your morality from a young age is far more reaching than you think when it will play into your health when you're older. Uh, it all has a ramification. God has rules and lines and lines in the sand for a reason. Trust him and stand with what is his and not what is popular. Just because it's legal or they say it's okay doesn't mean it's right. We're to stand on God's morality no matter what our nation says. And I think that's a good charge for us here today.